going to be in Psalms tonight, the ninth Psalm. We're going to begin by just reading a single verse, then we'll look at some other verses. And and speak on this subject, nations that forget God. And I've thought a lot about not just this passage, but about this reality that we're living in in America and again in much of the world. And, and that is the, the truth that God judges people and God judges nations. And don't take my word for it. We're going to take God's word for it. But uh, my desire, my prayer is that God will bring us through this and America will be stronger than ever. Um, but there is coming a day, and you can be assured of this, when if America doesn't get right with God, we will be judged. Or the Bible is not true. I mean, that's just all there is to it. So... Um, so I want to think about that as a possibility. And then our response, and I love this psalm, the ninth psalm. It's a psalm of David. And let's stand together. We'll have prayer and read just the 17th verse. I want you to think about the verse and uh, what the words say. Verse 17 of Psalm 9. And let me read the words. It says, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Let's read that together. Everybody found it now? Luke, chap Luke, Psalm chapter 9 and verse 17. Let's read together, okay? The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now that's an interesting phrase. The nations that forget God. For a nation to forget God, that nation had to have known God, had known about God, had been exposed to biblical truth or the truth about God. And this verse says that nations that forget God are going to be severely judged. And we'll look at that together. And let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you for your word this evening. And we come to it with minds that are open and hearts that are receptive and with, a, with an interest, a deliberate interest in what the Bible has to say about this subject. And Lord, we've lived in a prosperous country. We still do live in a prosperous country. And a country that has been sheltered in many ways from uh, what many citizens of the world experience and have experienced for hundreds and even thousands of years. So we're blessed, we're even spoiled, but we pray that you would help us as a congregation tonight to think about these words and, and, and Lord, just apply them as you'd see fit. And We trust you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. The first thing I'd like for us to remind ourselves of this evening is important, simple, but it's important, and that is this, that God does deal with nations. Now, we can go for weeks and months, and some people may even go for years, and some people may even go a lifetime and never understand that truth. 
they think that God deals with individuals, and God does deal with individuals. And God deals with communities. God dealt with Sodom and Gomorrah, a region. God dealt with them regionally because of their disobedience. God, God dealt with the entire world in Noah's day. He judged the whole world because of their wickedness. So God doesn't just deal with individuals. Individuals make up the communities and make up the countries. But we tend to think that God only deals in individual lives. But one of the, one of the themes of Psalm 9 is the matter of judgment. And let's just, let me make a few, point out a few of those places. We're in Psalm 9 still. Look in verse 4. Again, it's a Psalm of David. And he says, For thou hast maintained my right and my cause. Thou sattest in the throne judging right. God is judging righteously. Thou hast rebuked the heathen. Thou hast destroyed the wicked. Thou hast put out their name forever and ever. O thou enemy, destructions are come to a perpetual end, and thou hast destroyed cities. Their memorial is perished with them. But the Lord shall endure forever. He hath prepared his throne for judgment. And he shall judge the world in righteousness. He shall minister judgment to the people in uprightness. Now, I don't know how many times I didn't count them as I was reading, but there are numerous references there to God's judgment. That God is the judge, and he's gonna, he has judged, and, and David says he will judge. Look in verse 16. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hands. So there again, God's, it's talking about God's judgment. In verse 19, Arise, O Lord, let not man prevail. Don't let man have his way. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Selah. So again, I don't know, five, six, seven times, I'm not sure I didn't count them, but a number of times this passage has to do with judgment. And with that in mind, the, to me, the key verse is verse 17. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. So I'll say it again. God judges nations. By the way, God also blesses nations. The psalmist also said in Psalm 33, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Now, wouldn't it be wonderful to be in a nation where God was blessing that nation? Now, when I think of God blessing or cursing nations, blessing or judging nations, the nation I think about is the nation of Israel. Because God had a peculiar relationship with them, unlike any other nation. But this verse doesn't just say that God will judge the nation of Israel. It says that all the nations, and blessed are the nations that, that, uh, whose God is the Lord. Uh, to, to further um, confirm that, go to Jeremiah for a moment. We're going to come back to Psalm. But go to Jeremiah in chapter 18.
This is uh, God's um, revelation, his truth. He gave to Jeremiah about the power that the potter has over the clay. He went down to the potter's house. He sees this lived out before him. And he's talking about how God is, and he speaks in verse 6 of Jeremiah 18, O house of Israel, cannot I do with you as this potter, saith the Lord. Don't you understand that just like the potter can shape the clay and mold the clay and work on the clay, he said, don't you know that I could do that as, as to a nation? Now just think with me for a moment. Just think about this and kind of try to focus in on this. How, Imagine God so working that he would influence an entire nation. Not just a person, not just a family, not just a community, but an entire nation. And so he says there, Israel, don't you know that I could deal with you? I could, I could deal with you just like a potter deals with that clay on, this, on that wheel as he's working on it. Now look in verse 7. Just again, to, for confirmation of the fact that God works with nations. Verse 7 says, At what instant, God is speaking, of course, at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation. When God says something about a nation, it could be America, it could be Russia, it could be uh, Nicaragua, South Africa, a nation. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, God says, and concerning a kingdom, to pluck up and to pull down and to destroy it. God says, if I decide that that nation is going to be destroyed, verse 8, if that nation against whom I have pronounced turn from their evil, I will repent of the evil that I thought to do unto them. Now again, my natural tendency is to think of God dealing with Israel because we have the record of the period of the judges, the period of the prophets and, their, and, and, and how God was working in the people of his life, the, the time of their being uh, taken captive by the Babylonians. God was working on a nation. That's not, Israel's not just a handful of people, it's an entire nation. And God deals with those nations. But when I think about this, I think about God, and that's true about the prophets, whether it's Jeremiah or Isaiah, whoever it was, when they would say to these people, if you would just repent, God would be merciful to you. God would have been merciful to that nation, spared them all of that difficulty. But God says, if they, and continues in verse 9, and at what instant I shall speak concerning a nation, could be America, could be England, could be Germany. At what instant I shall speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it. If I say I'm going to build that nation up. If it do evil in my sight, God says, that it obey not my voice, then I will repent of the good wherewith I said I would benefit them. So he says if the... If the, if the nation that I said that I was going to destroy it, if they'll repent, then I will preserve that nation. God is a merciful God. And the nation that I said, I'm going to bless that nation. If that nation turns against me and sins, then I will, 
I'm gonna, I'm gonna erase all the good that I plan to do for that nation. And he, goes, he continues on, if you look in that passage in verse 11, now therefore go to, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Talk about the nation of Israel, saying, Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I frame evil against you. God says, I am, I am framing evil against you and devise a device against you. I'm putting together a plan that will destroy you. By the way, do you think God can destroy a nation? Absolutely. Then he says this in verse 11, Return you now, everyone from his evil way, and make your ways and your doings good. I'm, gonna, I'm putting together a plan to destroy you. Turn to me, he said. Isn't that, isn't that a merciful God? But look what he says in verse 12. And they said, there is no hope. They said, we're hopeless. But we will walk after our own devices, and we will everyone do the imagination of his evil heart. Boy, that's pretty obstinate, isn't it? Pretty rebellious. So God deals with nations. I want to take the time to kind of establish that fact in our mind tonight. Now again, we know how he worked with Israel. Israel was unique. Israel began in the heart of God when he called a man by the name of Abraham. When he lived in the Ur of the Chaldees and said, I want you to go to a place that I'm going to show you. And I'll let you know when you get there. God took Abraham, and from Abraham and his descendants, the nation of Israel was formed, and they exist to this day. They have a unique relationship with God. Even when they were divided, when, when during the days of Rehoboam and Jeroboam, when Israel was divided into Israel and Judah, and they were, had two identities, God dealt with those individual parts of the nation of Israel, Israel and Judah. He dealt with them individually and he dealt with them uniquely. But what about other nations? What about, what about the Assyrian nation? God dealt with the Assyrians. I mean, what about the um, Medo-Persian Empire, Cyrus the king of Persia? God dealt with the king and the people individually. They weren't even believed, they weren't even a Christian nation. Those weren't even Judeo-Christian people. Even the Babylonian Empire, he raised up, he purposely raised up the Babylonian Empire, Nebuchadnezzar, to, to, to bring his hand of judgment against Israel. How about the Canaanite nations that God sent to judge them? God sent Abram and his descendants, Moses and them, after the Egyptian 400 years in Egypt, they went into the, you know why they went into Canaan? To destroy those wicked, evil people. God brought judgment against the Canaanite nations. So all these nations we have examples of, and there are many more. There are many that we don't even know about, how God has dealt with nations. But here he's talking about in Psalm 9, a unique nation. A unique kind of nation, not a single nation, a unique kind of nation. And what kind of nation is it? In verse 17, nations that forget God. Nations that had the truth and they forgot God. You know, and, and by the way, there are other nations. You know I'm thinking about America, but there are other nations. What about Great Britain? Great Britain uh, had a strong Christian influence. I'm not talking about the Catholic influence. I'm not a Christian influence, including Baptists, 
some Protestant, others, missionaries sent out of Great Britain, the United Kingdom. I mean, a great revival visited that area, those places. Great revivals came to that region. But you know what? They're forgetting God. They're forgetting God. And just in the last century, by immigration, they brought in Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam. Right now, Islam, the Muslim religion, is the second leading religion in Great Britain. Think about that. Here's a nation that would have been considered, you know, this is, this is where George Mueller was, where Charles Spurgeon was. We could go down the list. This is where missionaries were sent out of. This was a great nation with a Christian influence who had godly influence. And the second leading religion in that nation now is Muslims, Islam. God judges nations that forget God. I th I'm thinking, of course, about America, about our country, about, and in light of what the Bible says. Now, do, does America have a history with God? Absolutely. I mean, we know that. They may not, they may not teach this in government classes, in the government schools today, but America has a history with God. I mean, look, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have currency, in your pocket, it still says, in God we trust. Why did they put that there? Because we have a history of trusting in God. You know, we, I don't know about you, but I heard several references over the last week or so from the Declaration of Independence. And, and you can't read that document without seeing the great role that God had. All men are created equal. They're endowed by their creator with these unalienable rights. And if you read about George Washington or Alexander Hamilton or John Adams or John Quincy Adams or Samuel Adams or Benjamin Rush, any of these great patriots, they had, they had genuine faith in God. They didn't just believe in God. They were devout. Many of them, most of them were devout believers. Noah Webster, who gave us our Webster's Dictionary, um, but also fought in the, in the revolution. Listen to what he said. The religion which has in, introduced civil liberty, talking about this experience, experiment here in America. The religion that has introduced civil liberty is the religion of Christ and his apostles. This is genuine Christianity. And to this we owe our free constitutions of government. That's what they said. We owe our freedom to the Christian belief. Let me, let me read you a couple of more quotes. Jedediah Morse, M-O-R-S-E. He was called a lot of things. He's probably called Jeb and Jebediah and all kinds of things, but. He was a historian, he was an educator, he's called the father of geography. Listen to these words, and please try to hear what I'm saying. This is a quote. To the kindly influence of Christianity, we owe that degree of civil freedom and political and social happiness 
which mankind now enjoys. We owe this freedom we have to the influence of Christianity. He goes on to say, all efforts made to destroy the foundations of our holy religion ultimately tend to the subversion also of our political freedom and happiness. There will be a connection between our political freedom and our faith. He continues, in proportion, as the genuine effects of Christianity are diminished in any nation, in the same proportion will the people of that nation recede from the blessings of genuine freedom. To the, he's, this is what he said in the 1700s. To the degree that America turns from their Christianity, to that same degree they will lose their freedom and liberty. Isn't that an amazing thing? And then he said this, whenever the pillars of Christianity can be overthrown, our present republic forms of government and all the blessings which flow from them must fall with them. I'm just saying, these, these people understood what, what we're talking about. God blesses a nation that honors him. God judges a nation that forgets him. I mean, you can see it in their words. I'm going to give you a couple other examples. This was, this was written in the record of Congress in 1854. This is the time frame around uh, the war between the states. I quote, The great vital and conservative element in our system is the belief of our people in the pure doctrines and the divine truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ. One more. This is, this is a quote from the minutes of a meeting of the House Judiciary Committee in Congress in the 1800s. Had the people during the revolution, talking about the war for independence, had the people during the revolution had a suspicion of any attempt to war against Christianity, that revolution would have been strangled in its cradle. In this age, there can be no substitute for Christianity. That was the religion of the founders of the republic, and they expected it to remain the religion of their descendants. Now this is a part of our history that most people are not exposed to. The point we're making is, not just a history lesson, it says all the nations that forget God, the Bible says that, the wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Now we know that just because one person in a nation forgets God, that doesn't mean the entire nation has forgotten God. But I think anybody that's observing with an open mind would say it seems like more and more people, more and more uh, the percentage of our nation is turning away from God. I mean, I think most people would agree with that. So the question is, is America guilty of forgetting God? Do you think America's guilty as a nation? And I would say absolutely. For one thing, where is the... You know, where's the fear of God? Now let's go back to our text in Psalm 9 and just point out a few things here from our text. Because this is the, this is the theme of Psalm 9. It's about judgment and specifically we're talking about the judgment of nations that forget God, that turn away 
from God. But look in verses 19 and 20, for instance. Arise, O Lord. This is his prayer. Let not man prevail. Let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. Put them in fear, O Lord, that the nations may know themselves to be but men. Now, one of the things I would say about nations that fear God, uh, that, that forget God, is this: they, they, when a man, when a person forgets God or a nations for, forget God, they think too highly of themselves. He prayed for this, Lord. I want the nations to know that they're just men. They're not gods. They're just men. They're just, they're just men that God has blessed. Where and, and, and America's lost the fear of God. Just let's borrow a verse from the, the next Psalm, Psalm 10 and verse 4. Look at the Bible. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Does that not describe a lot of people? The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after after God. Listen, when, when you lose sight of who God is, you're going to lose your way. And when a nation loses sight of who God is, they're going to lose their way. And what happens, what happens to a people, what happens to a people that lose sight of who God is and they're forgetting about God? They begin to do what's right in their own eyes. So they redefine marriage, go against the commandments of God's word. They justify freedom of choice, the freedom you have to choose to take the life of an unborn child. I'm just telling you, when you take God out of the equation, you're left to your own imaginations. You don't, you know, and that's the, and that's the description David gives us that they, God, please show them they're just men. They're just men. Look at our nation. I mean, our nation is, is more and more against God. And I, I know we live in a very protected place out here. But I'm telling you, it's obvious that more and more people... You just take some of the decisions made during this pandemic. How restrictions have been put on churches that weren't put on other businesses. It's okay to do these other businesses, but not, not on churches. Perhaps you saw the um, one of the attacks, not all of them, but one of the attacks that happened just recently in New York where protesters actually go into a church service, screaming their profanities, actually physically assault somebody on the steps of the church. These are just, these are people that are anarchists. They're, you know why? Because they don't respect the church. They don't respect God. Why don't people come to the aid of those churches? I'm just telling you. When you begin to forget God, you lose your sense of reason. You lose, you lose, and, and men, men become your source. Men, that's, that's more and more a part of our country. You know, we don't look to God to provide for us. We look to men and government programs because we, we've left God out of the equation. And David prays that God will make himself known and that men will be humbled. Another thing I want to notice about when nations forget God. Look in verse 15. It says, The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. Think about that. The heathen, those ignoring God, rejecting God, forgetting God, 
The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The Lord is known by the judgment which he executeth. The wicked is snared in the work of his own hand. So there are really four different uh, illustrations or phrases in those two verses. Three of them have to do with the wicked. And every one of those three of the wicked has to do with the fact that they're ensnared by their own foolishness. And that's another thing about nations that forget God. They begin to self-destruct. They're self-destructing. I mean, God could wipe out the world like he did in Noah's day. He could, and he will one day destroy the earth with fire. But what this verse tells us and what, and what other verses tell us and what life experience tell us is that people left to themselves will eventually self-destruct. They'll destroy themselves. And America is being ensnared by its own foolish judgments. Look at the chaos, the criminality in the inner cities of much of this country, the large cities. They're self-destructing. Look at the drug culture. Look at the sex trafficking. Look at the excessive debt individually, but as a nation, the trillions of dollars of debt. And look at this anarchy and this chaos and hatred for America that's just being, it's just increasing around our land. You know what that is? That is the seeds, the seeds of rebellion and undermining the principles of liberty that has gone on for generations and now we're just self-destructing. That's what, that's what the psalmist said. Look at it again, verse 50. The heathen are sunk down in the pit that they made. In the net which they hid is their own foot taken. The wicked, verse 16, is snared in the work of his own hands. And we could go on and talk about this, but the point is, this, this passage, I think, is a very revealing passage, Psalm 9, about the consequences of when a nation forgets God. And that nation will be judged. And, you know, anybody that knows me knows this. I'm... I'm a patriot. I love my country. And I'm not here to nitpick and criticize it, but I'm just telling you, America's going to be judged because America has been exposed to Bible truth and biblical understanding of the principles of God's Word in a measure that the vast majority of countries of the world have never been exposed to. And for many decades, and you could even say basically for the biggest part of a century, America, by and large, we had our flaws, and we certainly had times even of revival and spiritual awakening. But America at least acknowledged God. But today, as a rule, it's, that's taboo. And you know what? Most people, most people that aren't Bible Christians, that aren't, or that aren't uh, into the Bible, they don't even think about the fact that we're going to face judgment. Now, I don't know how that's going to be, and I don't know when that's going to be, but we may be seeing the first parts of it even now. Economically, socially, 
The consequences of a nation forgetting God, mark it down, it will not go unnoticed as far as God is concerned. You know, we think of the great America, and I'm a, I'm a patriot, and I like when our president talks positive about America and American exceptionalism. I believe in American exceptionalism. But lots of great nations have been reduced to oblivion. Lots of them. America may be great, but like the great historian said, America's only great because they're good. And if America ceases to be good, America will cease to be great. This may be our future. I may not live to see it. You may not live to see it. But all of us may live to see it. Young person, you think it with me. America is just a nation. That's all it is, is a nation. But it was a nation that had a great start, a great foundation. And most of us know very little about what it took for this nation to become great. And if you think God owes America anything, you're mistaken. God, God doesn't owe us anything. We owe God everything. God doesn't owe us so where does that put us? Psalm 9. Where does that put us? And for those people in Psalm 9 that are godly people, seekers of God, I just want to mention three things in our text. It, if, if indeed David is describing the possibility, the consequences, the potential of a nation that forgets God, well, that doesn't mean everybody forgets God. What if, what if there are people that, that are living for God? What if there are people who love God? First of all, I'm going to give you three things. First of all, there are going to be challenges. And, and this passage talks about this. You know, David said in verse 13, There have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble, which I suffer of them that hate me. Thou that liftest me up from the gates of death. So he was talking about his enemies and those who were giving him problems. But he asked God to consider him. Look in verse 18. He says, For the needy shall not always be forgotten. The expectation of the poor shall not perish forever. And so, you know, I think sometimes people have the idea that one of these days God's going to judge the world. And he is. And when he does, before he... For the great judgment is poured out upon this earth, and it'll be the wrath of God that will be poured out. Before that happens, he's going to take believers out of here, right? The rapture of the saints, the rapture of believers. That's all going to happen. We know it's going to happen. But people have the idea that it's going to be just rosy, and everything's going to be nice, until all of a sudden he just takes us away. But the Bible never says that. I mean, when I, when I read, and I, I think I've spent more time in the, in the later years of my life just noticing what's coming in the way of judgment in the book of Revelation. But that doesn't mean we're not going to experience part of that. Who would think that? There are going to be challenges. And I, I'm, not, I'm not asking for those things, but, I'm, but I think a wise person would say, if God were to start judging this country in a way... And please don't, 
you know, I'm just going to give you my opinion about this. I believe one day God will bring America to its knees. I believe that. And for the wicked, they'll just have, just have more, one more reason to be mad at God. But what about the rest of us? It, I'm just saying, they're going to be, they could be challenging times. And we ought to be thinking about that. You know, we, we're not just, we're not just, it's not like an amusement park and we just go from one ride to the next ride. There could be some problems on the horizon. We ought to be preparing for whatever happens. So number one, there'll be challenges. But, but second of all, there are also promises. Look in verse 9 of Psalm 9. The Lord also will be a refuge for the oppressed, a refuge in time of trouble. No matter what happens, God will still be a refuge for his people. God will still be there for us. I mean, even in the days when, when wicked Ahab um, was rebelling against God and, I, and Elijah the prophet went before the king and pronounced judgment and there was a Three and a half years, you know, we, we walk around our property and we notice how dry it is. Imagine three and a half years without a drop of rain. Three and a half years. You want it to mow the grass. <laughs> you can't find the grass. But remember the, the prophet who had 50 of these preachers and prophets taken care of in a cave and fed and supplied you know, I'm just saying, even in the worst of times, God will take... He took care of Elijah sitting by the brook Cherith by bringing food and water twice a day. And when, that, when the, dry, and it dried, the, the creek dried up, he went to the, the widow of Zarephath, and she, the Lord used her. I'm just saying God will take care of his people. So for those who seek him, there will be challenges. Second of all, there are promises. But thirdly, there are responsibilities and opportunities. And I only mentioned just two of them. The first thing I want to mention that David brings out clearly in this psalm is the responsibility and opportunity to pray. Look in verse 10. And they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. For thou, Lord, hast not forsaken them that seek thee. No matter what happens, as a matter of fact, no, well, no, let me just go ahead and finish. No matter what happens, we, we need to be praying, but a matter, I was going to say, matter of fact, the most important thing we ought to be doing is praying. Praying. Seeking God. And not just praying for God to protect us, but praying for God to work. Remember what God said? If God pronounced evil and people would turn and seek him, then God would reverse his decision. The opportunity and the responsibility to pray. Look at verse 12, the last part of verse 12. He forgetteth not the cry of the humble. Look in verse 13. Have mercy upon me, O Lord. Consider my trouble which I suffer of them that hate me. He's praying, seeking the Lord. Look in verse 19. Arise, O Lord. Let not man prevail. Let the heathen be judged in thy sight. We, we, we ought to be men and women of prayer. Praying for our country. Praying for our loved ones. Praying for people to be saved. 
You know, we might think like this. If things get really bad, how am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to keep a roof over our head? How am I going to feed my family? But we ought to also be thinking about this. If, the, if we're at the end, what about those people we know that aren't saved? Those people need the Lord. It's not just about survival for the fittest. It's about praying for God to work. So we ought to be praying and then... Sa- the second thing along the subject of opportunities and responsibilities, not just praying, but declaring God's truth. Look in verse 1. I will praise thee, O Lord, while with my whole heart I will show forth all thy marvelous works. He mentions this more than once. Verse 11. Sing praises to the Lord which dwelleth in Zion. Declare among the people... His doings. Tell the story. Declare His goodness. What God is doing. In verse 14 he says, That I may show forth all thy praise in the gates of the daughter of Zion. I will rejoice in thy salvation. I want to I show forth your praise. What should people be doing? And, and I talked about England, Britain, Great Britain. What should they be doing? I mean, more and more people are turning away from God. You know what they ought to be doing? They ought to be praying. They ought to be telling, telling the story, trying to win people to the Lord. This is not a, a, an isolated testimony. I happened to hear a testimony uh, either today or yesterday, but I've heard numbers of these testimonies from people in the black community that are saying, we need to reach our communities with the gospel. That's what, that's what these communities need. They need the word of God. All communities need the Word of God. I haven't I haven't been around as long longer, I should say, than anybody in this room. I know there's a couple of you that are, have seniority on me, but I'm telling you, in my mind, we may be headed for a rough ride in many aspects. If it was all just about a sickness, if it was all just about, and I respect the sickness, if it's all just about a sickness and a sluggish economy or a downturn in the market, I'd say, you know, maybe we could pull ourselves out of this. But what if part of this is the judgment of God? You don't just turn that off. I just think we need to be seeking God. No matter what happens. We need to be seeking God, and we need to be telling others. I mean, God needs witnesses. God needs people who will warn and tell others. So there may be challenging times ahead. I pray, I pray for wisdom for our leaders. I pray for, for, for God to help those that are sick, that God would just bring us through this difficult time. I pray for those things, people that are without jobs, people who are unemployed or underemployed we pray for all those kinds of people but we ought to be too praying also not just for survival but for revival and we can know this no matter what happens God is with us God hears our prayers and we have the message the world needs amen